divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. morning 9 30 service and uh, happy 4th of July to everyone in here hope you have a great day celebrating I, I woke up this morning and just had two two things on my mind uh, first was all the way back to when I was growing up uh, every 4th of July my dad my little brother and I we would walk the, the the street you know Bayview Drive Cicero Indiana and we would line it with, with little American flags that we would get from our neighbor the night before. She made sure that we had dozens of them just to, to line our street with. And so we would pull our little wagon and follow. And dad had this little metal pole that he would poke a hole in the ground. And my brother and I would fight over who got to put the flag into, into that hole. And just, uh, just brought uh, back some, some fond memories of, of those moments growing up and how, you know, just even from a, a young age, my dad um, who served uh, just instilled in us a value for this country that, that we we have. Uh, and I'm also grateful today for the freedoms that we have because of men and women who fought not only to secure them, but continue to protect them. And so I think just this extra measure of gratitude that, that Independence Day reminds us of, of all the blessing that we have. Blessings of freedom to be able to gather here and worship, uh, knowing that there are brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, throughout history, that not, have not been able to, to enjoy that. And so just whatever you're doing today, family gatherings, cookouts, fireworks that you have later on, I uh, just hope that you'll take a moment just to, to pray a prayer of gratitude uh, for the blessing that, that America is uh, to us. This morning, we are turning our attention uh, to Peter's second letter that he writes to the churches. And so if you have a, a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn there with me. Second Peter chapter one, we're going to be spending the next four weeks looking at these, uh, looking at these three chapters. If you've been going through this study with us, I believe we're, we're on week uh, 13 now. If, the, if, you're, if you're brand new, this is your first time, this is a great time to come. It's never a bad time to come to church for the first time. And so we're glad that you are here. But if you've been kind of joining us through this study, you may notice something a little bit different. You may notice that that second Peter feels just a little bit different than first Peter did. And I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. 
I think first, the purpose of these two letters are just very different. Peter uh, writes his first letter to, to Christians, you know, elected exiles who are scattered throughout the world and they're starting to face all kinds of like persecution, all sorts of suffering because of their faith. They're trying to figure out how do we relate to our culture around us. And so Peter writes this, this first letter to them and to us and tells us, you know, don't give up, don't give in, stand strong, stand firm. Uh, and, and so it's this letter of encouragement encouragement for, for Christians to, to be bold and to represent Christ, to not forget the living hope that they have, that their lives, no matter what comes their way, their lives are being built on the solid cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And so that's first Peter. Second Peter, second Peter was written to warn these same followers of Jesus about the danger of false teachers that were starting to gain influence in the church. At this point, the, the church is about 30 years, 35 years old or so when, when Peter writes this letter. And, and, and people are starting to pop up and they're starting to teach a message that is different than the core of, of the essential message of, of the gospel. You had people in the church who were starting to stand up and say, well, you know what? God, God came to me last night in a dream and gave me a special revelation that he's only given me. And if you really wanna know and love and follow Jesus, if you really wanna be a part of this Christian thing, then you need the information that only I have. So you had that group of people. You had, you had false teachers who were rising up and say, you know, it's not really Jesus alone. It's not really Jesus only. If you really want to be saved, you, really, you need Jesus and. It's not grace only. It's not Jesus only. It's Jesus and good works. It's Jesus and obeying the law. It's Jesus and whatever cultural or personal preference that, that I want you to follow uh, in order to find grace, in order to be saved, in order to be a part of this church. It's not Jesus only, it's gotta be Jesus and. And so we, we read a couple of letters that Peter, Paul, others write back to the church and like, be wary of any message other than the one that we preach to you, any message that is not Jesus only. And then you had others that are starting to teach. Like, hey, you know, Jesus promised 30, 35 years ago that he was gonna return. He kind of made it feel like it was gonna be soon. And yet here we are and he has, he's not back yet. So maybe he's not going to come back. And so maybe all of this is just kind of futile. Let's just go and live however we want. That starts to kind of sneak into the church as, as well. And so Peter writes the second letter to kind of confront these false teachers that have risen up in the church. And he, and he tells the church to be aware, be on guard. He kind of picks up where he left off at the end of his first letter. And he talks about just the, the Satan is looking to, to devour. And he knows that if he wants to destroy the church, his best chance, he knows that he's not going to be able to do it from without. In fact, anytime persecution hits the church from the outside, it only gets stronger. I mean, you can track that throughout history. And so Satan knows that if he really wants to destroy the church, he's going to do it from within. He's going to do it by making us lose sight of who we are, this gospel that has saved us and the work that we have been called to do in light of it. If Satan can make Christians ineffective and unproductive in their faith by getting them to believe all kinds of, of lies, by getting them to... Uh, just get worked up or distracted from their mission by all sorts of things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of eternity, then he will be able to thwart God's mission of lovingly calling people back to him. If, if Satan can just keep Christians kind of confused and distracted, then it'll keep us from our real mission and the real message. 
And so Peter sends this letter as a warning to the church. And it sounds, just in tone, much different than his first letter. I think another reason why it's different is because Peter, Peter is different. His, his life circumstances have changed between the time when he wrote the first letter and the time when he wrote his, his second letter. Peter's life is about ready to come to an end as he writes this letter. In fact, he's, he's probably writing this from a prison cell awaiting his execution that very likely could have come within days of him writing this letter. And so there is a sense of urgency in the tone of what he's writing that we don't read in the first letter. This is Peter's dying message to the church. And the message is this. Keep growing in your knowledge and love of Jesus and don't let anyone lead you astray. And Peter doesn't pull any punches in this letter because he, does, he doesn't have the time. The, the message is way too important for him to mince words. And so he just kind of gets right to it. And this is how he starts his second letter. Look at it with me. Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. There's so much. Just kind of pause right there. Notice he, he, the order that he puts these words. Simon Peter, you're just remembering who he was and now who Christ called him to be. He was Simon, but now he's Peter. He's just reminiscing of, of this new identity that Jesus gave him. But then he goes first a servant and then an apostle. And those, those orders, that order of these words is so important because here is Peter who, who, when he walked with Jesus, used to argue with the other disciples about who the greatest and who the most important and who the biggest leader of the group is. And now here's Peter 30, 35 years later going, man, that's not who I am. I'm first and foremost a servant of Jesus, ready to do his will, whatever that will may be. He's a servant first, and then he's a leader in the church. He says, to those who through righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, if you find yourself reading that going, what in the world did he just say? I told my wife this week, Second um, Peter is just, it's, it's just written differently. Peter, what he does, it seems like he just kind of loops back and forth. And so he makes this point and then he loops back to it to make his next point. And then he loops back to it to make his next point. And, and, and so I find like reading Second Peter is almost like running in sand. It's just kind of difficult. You have to put a little bit more effort, a little bit more energy into it. But you may have noticed right up front that Peter uses a word twice in these four verses and repetition matters. That's a, that's a really important biblical um, principle. Whenever you find something repeated, it means that it matters. And Peter doesn't just repeat this word twice in these four verses. He repeats it 13 times in these three chapters. And so it's a really important word and the word is knowledge. 
And the Greek word for knowledge is, is so much more than just a, a head knowledge. It's so much more than just an intellectual understanding of a concept, of a theory, of a, of a thing. It's not just knowing about something. It's actually taking that and applying it to our life. In fact, writers in the New Testament, when they used the word knowledge, gave very little thought to just theory or knowing something, but about putting it in practice. And so for Peter, knowledge means living participation in the truth. It's about letting what you know influence what you do, influence how you live. And in these four verses, Peter tells us that our knowledge of God and our Savior Jesus, that living out of our faith and what we know to be true, it brings us grace and peace in verse two. But verse three and four go on to say that we live out our faith as we live that out in what we know to be true, we have God's divine power and his grace within us. And those two things are all that we need to live a faithful, fruitful life. And so right up front, Peter fires this warning shot across the bow of those who are teaching, it's not Jesus only, but it's Jesus and. And he's saying, no, all that we need is the true gospel. But I think he does more than just fire this warning shot. I think he reminds believers of the hope and the faith that we have because of Jesus. He points to the divine power and the divine nature that is at work within us, the qualities of, of God that, that created all that we see, that hung the stars in the sky, that set the earth into motion. God's power and nature that formed everything is working and moving in us. And he's forming a faith in us that makes our lives look different from the world around us. And for those of us who have professed our faith in Jesus and are living for him, we have this divine DNA that is at work within us. And Peter is saying that this is all that we need to live this godly life. And he tells us what this godly life looks like, starting in verse five. And he uses a lot of words in the, these three verses. And so we're gonna kind of take it piece by piece. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And goodness is, more, is, is so much more than just this act of being good. Goodness is, is when something fulfills its purpose. That when something fulfills its purpose, that's when you would point to it and you say that thing is, is good. And so what is the purpose of our faith? Well, Jesus tells us in the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, love God, love others. The great commission, help others do the same. That is the purpose of our faith, to love God, to love others, and then to help others do the same. And so Peter says, add to your faith, add to what you believe, the practice of that belief. Love God, love others, and help others do the same. To goodness, knowledge, and again, knowledge is so much more than just what you know in your head. It is, it is how that fleshes out. It's how that comes out of you. It is, it is practical knowledge. It's discernment. It's the ability to overlay God's words and wisdom into our everyday lives so that we know how to handle the people and the problems and the decisions in front of us. To knowledge, 
add self-control. Self-control is this idea of not being ruled by anything in our bodies or in our minds. As our faith grows and the divine power and nature of God does its work in us, we pay attention to those things that we let into our minds, that, that we let into our hearts, but we also pay attention to those things that come out of our, of our mouth. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we watch what comes out and we control what goes in so that what comes out is good and pleasing and faithful. We practice self-control in our life. To self-control, perseverance. If self-control is how we handle the pleasures of life, then perseverance is how we handle the pains and the problems of life. Do we give in to temptation? Do we give up when things get hard or do we persevere in, in our faith? To perseverance, godliness. In the Greek, that word godliness, it, it means someone who worships well. And if you are sitting there going, oh man, I do not worship well. <laughs> I've got a horrible singing voice. That's, there's, that's not what he's talking about. It's that your life is an act of worship. That you are in a right relationship with God and others. That there is something distinctive about the way that you live, that you don't take the easy path, you take the right one. You, you seek the will of God and pursue the good of, of others. Your mind and your heart are more consumed by the things of God than they are by the things of the world around you. That's godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. The Greek word that Peter uses here is Philadelphia. We know that, right? You, you know the, that definition. It's brotherly love. Brotherly love, mutual affection, this idea that when we, when we disagree, we don't talk about each other. We talk to each other. We work towards the good of one another and towards the good of the relationship. We learn to love and serve one another like Christ loved and served us. This this mutual affection that Peter wants to see just grow within the church. And then he finishes off with the, the overarching agape, the love, the sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. The type of love that God has for people who are living far from him. Our faith in Jesus and our knowledge of him has given us everything we need to experience this kind of life, to experience the spiritual growth and the maturity required to live out this kind of faith. But did you notice what Peter says in, in verse five? This kind of faith, it doesn't just come by passively sitting back and, and letting God like pour it on us. This kind of faith actually takes work. It takes effort. Look again at what he says at the beginning of verse five. He says, for this very reason, make every effort. Hang on to that phrase. If you are one who highlights or underlines in your Bible, underline it. It's an important phrase. Make every effort to add to your faith. And this phrase paints a picture of striving for something. It's this, it's this intense effort that requires hard work and sacrifice. And when I think about what this phrase means, I think of, of two men in my life who, who just embodied it, who modeled it for me. I think of my grandpa Green, who served 
during World War II who fought for our country. And when he came home, he pulled everything that he could find to, to buy a piece of property between Worthington and Jasonville, farmed it his entire life, made sacrifices to, to try to keep the farm during difficult years, worked hard to put meals on the table for his family. My grandpa Green, before he passed, modeled what hard work, what make every effort looks like. I think of my dad. Growing up, I, I didn't know some of the difficulties that our family faced. All I knew is that dad would sometimes work two, three jobs, pick up odds and ends things here. He was making every effort to provide for our family. You probably have people like that in your life, that when you, when you hear this phrase, make every effort, they come to mind of just the strength and this tenacity that they have. And I think that's, that's the image that Peter is trying to cast for us, that we need to put effort and work into developing these qualities in our faith. Now, now, now hear me, there's, there's a distinction here. Peter is not saying that we need to put hard work and effort into earning our salvation. That's grace and, that's Jesus and. What Peter is saying is that we, we'd use, we'd put all of this effort and all of this work into producing these things within us, living out this kind of, of faith and trust in Jesus, living out our salvation. It's not about earning it, it's about living it out. But the promise that we have is that we don't have to do it alone. We work in partnership with God. And these qualities begin to grow in our faith. We don't passively receive them from the Lord. He works with us to grow them in us. So why is it important to Peter that we put this hard work and this effort in and add these qualities to our faith? I think two reasons that he gives us. I think Peter wants us to experience a faith that is good for us and is good for others. Good work that, that does its, 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 its work in us and in our lives and it produces fruit and, and then the work it does in the lives of others as they see the, the way that we live out our faith. Look at what he says in verse eight. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, these things that he had just talked about, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter wants these qualities to grow in us so that our faith doesn't become ineffective, where it doesn't really do anything in, in our life. He doesn't want our faith to become unproductive, where our, it doesn't do anything in the lives of others. It doesn't multiply out in the faith of others. Peter wants our faith to produce fruit in our lives and fruit in the lives of others. And our lives are fruitful because at the root, we are faithful. These qualities grow out of faith and are evidence in the divine power in nature. That divine DNA is at work within us. And so Peter wants us to to kind of avoid what Paul is talking about in Titus where he writes, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Too many Christians claim to know God on Sundays and then deny him with their actions on Mondays. 
And, and meanwhile, a, a world that is already skeptical of our faith looks at it and is like, why would I want any part of that? Peter puts it like this in verse nine, but whoever does not have them, whoever does not have these qualities is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. And the Christian who neglects the divine DNA that wants to transform them is only able to see what is right in front of them, only able to see themselves, only focus on their own needs, their own wants. They, they make demands without giving any thought to others. They want to be served rather than to serve. They want to hear the gospel again without regard to those who have never heard it once. In his commentary on this verse, Warren Wearsby writes, life is too brief and the needs of the world too great for God's people to be walking around with their eyes closed. And so for Peter, knowing and loving Jesus and growing in our faith is urgent because the mission of God matters. It matters so much to, to Peter that he is about to lose his very life for it. And he doesn't want the church, this church that he, is, that he has seen grow from infancy he doesn't want the church to be thrown off track. And so he writes in verse 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort, there's that phrase again, to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These qualities growing in us confirm that we are saved and that God is working and moving in us. It is evidence that we are being conformed to the image of his son, that we are starting to reflect the, the, the same character and nature of Jesus. And Peter says that if we work to develop these qualities in our life, then our faith will be strong and we will not stumble when temptation, when persecution come our way. But then he points to eternity. He, he looks towards heaven. And I'll tell you, that's something that, that I probably don't spend nearly enough time thinking about. In fact, we're gonna, we're gonna end our, our exile series on August 1st just by taking the service to kind of look at what does the Bible say and what, what kind of picture does it paint of, of heaven and what it will, what it'll be like. But Peter kind of sets his, his mind on heaven, and I imagine it's, it's because he knows that heaven is getting a whole lot closer <laughs> for him. And so he's starting to think about it a little bit more, which I find as I've talked and walked with people through their final stages of life, seems like they think a lot about heaven a lot more the closer they get to it. And he says that if we grow these qualities in our faith, then we will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. What does he mean by that? I think one of the things that, that scripture shows us is that if we've placed our, our faith in Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, like we, are, we are secure. We are secure in our salvation. We have this promise that heaven will one day be ours, that we will be welcomed into it. But I think scripture also teaches that that welcoming into heaven is not going to be the same for, for everyone. Some will enter into heaven 
and come unrecognized and unknown, having lived with a faith that did very little in their own life or in the lives of others. Some will be welcomed by those who were blessed by them, who were reached by them, who were served by them, who were loved by them. And so scripture is clear that your faith will save you, but, but God will use your good works to save others. And along with Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant, they will welcome you, they will richly welcome you into your eternal reward. And so what if you look at your life today and you're like, you know, Sean, I don't really see these things in my life. I don't see faith, goodness, self-control, love, or maybe you just want more of them in, in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus and you want more, I think what it starts is just kind of taking an inventory of, of where you are, taking an inventory of the things that you are feeding your, your faith, putting into your life. Are you feeding your, yourself spiritually through prayer, Bible study, or just kind of skating by uh, feeling pretty content and comfortable with, with where you are. Uh, we have a couple of resources that, that are going to be coming up that I, that I hope will just kind of help us as a church begin to develop more of, of this. And the first one is a, is a sermon series that we're going to be starting on August 8th called Diving In. And we're just going to take five weeks to, to kind of just as a church learn how do we dive into God's word and study it on our own. Not, not study it when we come to church on Sunday or when we're a part of a life group or a Sunday school class, but really get into it and learn what does God's word say and how can I apply it to my life on a, on a regular basis. And so we're just gonna kind of teach as a church, teach all of us, uh, or maybe you know, give ourselves some more uh, knowledge on how to do this, how to study the Bible and how to apply it into our life. And so that starts on August 8th. But then on September 12th, we're gonna start kind of this year process of going through the 52 most important passages that every, scripture, every Christian should know. And we're calling it Core 52. And so we're gonna spend each week kind of memorizing a passage, studying it, teaching on it, so that by the time we get to Labor Day of 2022, uh, many of us will have memorized these 52 just essential passages to our faith and not just know them up here, but know how to begin to live them out in our life. If you're here today and you're looking for these qualities and you want more of them in your life, but you've not put your faith in Jesus, like there is no better place to start than right there. When you give your life to Christ and you put your faith in him, he gives you everything you need to live this kind of life. He works with you to form it and to shape it in you. And what's more, you receive salvation and the hope of eternal life. You enter into God's mission to redeem and restore and renew this world now until the day when God ultimately redeems and restores and renews all things. And so if you desire more of this, it starts by surrendering your life to Jesus, putting your faith in him and starting to form these things together. If you wanna make that decision today that we saw Sonia make this morning, we invite you to it. Won't you stand and I'll pray. God, thanks for just the hope of your word and uh, the life that it points us to. Father, I pray that we will uh, just desire more of you in our lives and for that divine DNA that you have given us to grow and bear fruit, not just in our lives, but Father, in the lives of others. Thank you for Jesus. Um, thank you for the salvation and the grace that we can have knowing 
that, uh, that when we are weak, you are strong in us and that you, Father, partner with us to develop every good thing in our life. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.